0: Chapter 31, A Song in the Dark. The terrible, foul odor of the dungeon did not bother Mig. Perhaps that is because sometimes when her uncle was giving her a good clout to the ear, he missed the mark and delivered a good clout to Mig's nose instead. This happened enough that it interrupted the proper workings of Mig's olfactory senses and olfactory senses means her sense of smell. And so it was that the overwhelming stench of despair and hopelessness and evil was not at all discernible to her. And she went on happily down the twisting and turning stairs. Go, she shouted, it's dark, ain't it? Yes, it is, Meg, she answered herself. But I was a, but if I was a princess, I would be so glittery, light like. There wouldn't be a place in this whole world that was dark to me. At this point, Meg Sow broke into a little song that went something like this. I ain't the princess pea, but someday I will be the pea. Ha, ha. Someday I will be. Meg, as you can imagine, wasn't much of a singer, more like a bellower, really. But in her little song, there was, to the rightly tuned ear, a certain kind of music. And as Meg went singing down the stairs of the dungeon, there appeared from the shadows a rat wrapped in a cloak of red and wearing a spoon on his head. That was just the song I wanted to hear, said the rat. Yes. As Roscuro quietly fell and stepped beside Sow at the bottom of the stairs, Mig shouted into the darkness, "Gore! It's me, Sow. Most calls me Mig, delivering your food! Come get it, Mr. Deep Downs! There was no response. The dungeon was quiet. But, not, but it was not quiet in a good way. It was quiet in an ominous way. It was quiet in the way of small, frightening sounds. There was a snail-like slither of water oozing down the walls from around a darkened corner where there came a low moan of someone in pain. And then, too, there was the noise of rats going about their business, their sharp nails hitting the stones of the dungeon, their long tails dragging behind them through the blood and muck. Reader, if you were standing in the dungeon, you would certainly hear all of these disturbing, ominous sounds. If I were standing in the dungeon, I would hear all of these sounds. If we were standing in the dungeon together, we would hear these sounds and we would be terribly frightened. We would cling to each other out of fear. But what did Megri Saw hear? That's right. Absolutely nothing. And so she was not afraid at all—not in the least. She held the tray up higher, and the candle shed its and the candle shed its weak light on a towering pile of spoons and bowls and kettles. "Gore," said Meg, "look at them things! I ain't never imagined there could be so many spoons in the whole wide world." There's more to this world than anyone could imagine, said a booming voice from the darkness. True, true, whispered Roscuro. The old jailer speaks the truth. Gore, said Meg. Who said that? And she turned in the direction of the jailer's voice. Chapter 32, Beware of the Rat. The candlelight on Mig's tray revealed Gregory limping toward her, the thick rope tied around his ankle, and his hands outstretched. "'You,' Gregory presumes, "'have brought the food for the jailer?' "'Gah,' said Mig, and she took a step backwards. "'Give it here,' said Gregory. He took the tray from Mig and sat down on an overturned kettle that had rolled free from the tower." He balanced the tray on his knees and stared at the covered plate. Gregory assumes today again there is no soup. Huh? Said Meg. Soup! Shouted Gregory. Illegal! Shouted Meg back. Most foolish! Muttered Gregory as he lifted the cover off the plate. Too foolish to be born a world without soup. He picked up a drumstick and put the whole of it in his mouth and chewed and swallowed. Here. Said Meg, staring hard at him. "You forgot the bones." Not forgotten, chewed. <sighs> said Meg, staring at Gregory with respect. "You eats the bones? You are most ferocious." Gregory ate another piece of chicken, a wing, bones and all, and then another. And Meg watched him admiringly. "Some day," she said, moved, moved suddenly to tell this man her deepest wish. I will be a princess. At this announcement, chiaroscuro, who was still at Mig's side, did a small, deliberate jig of joy in the light of the one candle. His dancing shadow was large and fearsome indeed. Gregory sees you, Gregory said to the rat's shadow. Roscuro ceased his dance. He moved to hide beneath Mig's skirt. Huh? shouted Mig. What's that? Nothing, said Gregory. So you aim to be a princess. Well, everyone has a foolish dream. Gregory, for instance, dreams of the world where soup is legal. And that rat has a foolish dream too. Gregory is sure. If only you knew, whispered a squirrel. What? shouted Meg. Gregory said nothing more. Instead, he reached into his pocket and held his napkin to his face and sneezed one time, two times, three times. Bless you, bless you, shouted Meg. Back to the world of light, Gregory whispered. And then he balled up the napkin and placed it on the tray. Gregory is done, he said. And he held the tray out to Meg. Are you done? Then the tray goes back upstairs. Cook says it must. You take the tray to the deep downs. You wait for the old man to eat and then you bring the tray back. Them's my instructions. Did they instruct you to be, oh, be aware of the rats? What's that? The rats. What about them? Beware of them, shouted Gregory. Right, said Meg. Beware of the rats. Roscuro, hidden beneath Meg's skirt, rubbed his front paws together. Warn her all you like, old man, he whispered. My hour has arrived. The time is now, and your rope must break. No nib nib nibbling this time, rather a serious chew and it will break it in two. Yes, it is all coming clear. Revenge is at hand. Chapter 33, A Rat Who Knows Her Name Meg had climbed the dungeon stairs and was preparing to open the door when the rat spoke to her. May I detain you for a moment? Meg looked to her left and then to her right. Down here, said Viscoro. Meg looked to the floor oh she said but you're a rat ain't you and didn't the old man just warn me of such Beware the rats he said she held the tray up high so that the light from the candle shone directly on rascuro and the golden spoon on his head and the blood red cloak around his neck there's no need to panic none at all said rascuro as he talked as he talked, he reached behind his back, and using the handle, he raised the soup spoon off his head, much in the manner of a man lifting his hat to a lady. Gah, said Meg, a rat with manners. Yes, said Roscuro. How do you do? My papa had him a cloth much like yours, Mr. Rat, said Meg, red like that. He traded me for it. Uh Aha, said Roscuro. He smiled a big, large, knowing smile. Ah, that is a terrible story. A tragic story. Reader, will you pardon me? We must pause for a moment to consider a great and unusual thing. A portentous thing. That great, unusual, portentous thing is this. Roscuro's voice was pitched perfectly to make its way through the torturous path of Meg's broken down cauliflower ears. That is to say, dear reader, that Megri Sal heard perfect and true every single word the rat uttered. You have known to share your story, said Roscuro to Meg. Perhaps it is time for you to make the acquaintance of a triumphant glory. Triumphant, said Meg, glory? Eh, hey, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Roscuro, said Roscuro. And your name is Migery Sow. But most people, eh, they call you Mig. Ain't that a thing, shouted Mig. A rat who knows my name? Miss Migri, my dear. I do not want to appear too forward so early in our acquaintance. May I inquire? You have aspirations. What do you mean? Aspirations. Miss Migri? there is no need to shout. None at all. As you can hear me, I can hear you. We two are perfectly suited to each other. Roscuro smiled again, displaying a mouthful of sharp yellow teeth. Aspirations, my dear? Well, those would make a serving girl wish to be a princess. Good said Meg. A princess is exactly what I want to be. There is, my dear, a way to make that happen. I believe there is a way to make that dream come true. You mean I could be the Princess P? Yes, your highness, said Roscuro, and he swept the spoon off his head and bowed deeply at the waist. Yes, your most royal highness, Princess P," Gah, said Meg. May I tell... You, my plan, may I illustrate for you how we can make your dream of becoming a princess reality? Yes, said Meg. Yes, it begins, said squirrel, with yours truly and the chewing of a rope. Meg held the tray with one small candle burning bright, and she listened as the rat went on, speaking directly to the wish in her heart so passionately did squirrel speak that and so intently did the serving girl listen that neither noticed as the napkin on the tray moved nor did they hear the small mouse-like noises of disbelief and outrage that issued from the napkin as squirrel went on unfolding step by step his diabolical Plan to bring the princess in to darkness. Chapter 34, Kill them, Even If They're Already Dead Reader, you did not forget about our small mouse, did you? Back to the light. That's what Gregory whispered to him when he wrapped Despero in his napkin and placed him on the tray. And then Meg, after her conversation with Roscuro, carried the tray into the kitchen. And when she saw Cook, she shouted, It's me, Meg Risseau, back from the deep downs. Ah, oh, lovely, said the Cook, and ain't we all relieved? Meg put the tray on the counter. "Here, here," said Cook. Your duties ain't done. You must clear it. How's that? shouted Meg. You must clear the tray, shouted Cook. She reached over and took hold of the napkin and gave it a good shake. And Despero tumbled out of the napkin and landed right directly in a measuring cup full of oil. Ah! said Cook. A mouse in my kitchen! In my cooking oil! In my measuring cup! You, Meg, kill him directly, Meg, bent her head, and looked at the mouse, slowly sinking to the bottom of the glass. Poor little Macy, she said, and stuck her hand into the oil and pulled him out by his tail. Despero, gasping and coughing and blinking at the bright light, could have wept with joy at his rescue, but he was not given time to cry. Kill him, said the cook. said Meg. All right. Holding Despero by the tail, she went to get the kitchen knife. But the mouse tail was covered in oil and it was slick and difficult to hold on to. And Mig, in reaching for the knife, loosened her grip and Despero fell to the floor. Mig looked down at the little bundle of fur. Gah, she said. That killed him for sure. That killed him for sure. Kill him. Even if he's already dead, cook shouted. That's my philosophy with mice. If they're alive, kill him. If they're dead, kill him. That way you can be certain of having yourself a dead mouse, which is the only kind of mouse to have. That's some slosophy. That is, kill him if they's already dead. Hurry, you cauliflower ear fool, shouted the cook. Hurry, you cauliflower ear fool shouted the cook. Hurry! Despero lifted his head from the floor. The afternoon sun was shining through the large kitchen window. He had time to think how miraculous the light was. And then it suddenly disappeared and and Meg's face loomed into view. She studied him, breathing through her mouth. Little Macy, she said. Ain't you gonna skedaddle? Despro looked for a long moment into Meg's small concerned eyes and then there came a blinding flash and the sound of metal moving through the air as Meg brought down the kitchen knife. Down, down, down! And Despero felt a very intense pain in his hindquarters. He leapt up into action. Reader, he scurried. He scurried like a professional mouse. He zigged to the left. He zagged to the right. Gore shouted Meg. Missed him. Ain't that a surprise, said Cook, just as Despero scurried under a crack in the pantry door. I got the little mice's tail, though said Meg. She bent over and picked up Despero's tail and held it up proudly, displaying it to the cook. So, what good will that do us when the rest of him has disappeared into the pantry? I don't know, said Meg, and she braced herself as cook advanced upon her, intending to give her a good clout to the ear. I don't know. Chapter 35, The Knight in Shining Armor. Despero was pondering the reverse of that question. He was wondering not what he would do with his tail, but what he would do without it. He was sitting on a bag of flour high atop a shelf in the pantry, crying for what he had lost. The pain in his hindquarters was intense, and he wept because of it. But he also cried because he was happy. He was out of the dungeon, and he had been recalled to life. His rescue had happened just in time for him to save the Princess P from the terrible fate that rat had planned for her. So Despero wept with joy and with pain and with gratitude. He wept with exhaustion and despair and hope. He wept all the emotions a young mouse who had been sent to his death and then delivered from it in time to save his beloved can feel reader the mouse wept and then he lay down on the sack of flour and slept outside the castle the sun set and the stars came out one by one and then they disappeared and they gave way to the rising sun and still despero slept and while he slept he dreamt he dreamt of the stained glass windows in the dark of the dungeon In Despero's dream, the light came to life, brilliant and glorious, in the shape of a knight swinging a sword. The knight fought the dark, and the dark took too many shapes. First, the dark was his mother, uttering phrases in French, and then the dark became his father, beating the drum. And the dark was Furlough, wearing a black hood and shaking his head no, and then the dark became a huge rat, smiling a smile that was evil and sharp. The dark, Despero cried, turning his head to the left. The light, he murmured, turning his head to the right. He called out to the knight. He shouted, who are you? Will you save me? But the knight did not answer him. Tell me who you are, Despero shouted. The knight stopped swinging his sword. He looked at Despero. "'You know me,' he said. "'No,' said Despero. "'I don't.' "'You do,' said the knight. He slowly took the armor off his head and revealed nothing. No one. The suit of armor was empty. "'No, oh no,' said Despero. "'There is no knight in shining armor. "'It's all just make-believe.' like, happily ever after. And in his sleep, Reader, the small mouse began to cry. Chapter 36, What Mig Carried. And while the mouse slept, Roscuro put his terrible plan into effect. Would you like to hear, Reader, how it all unfolded? The story is not a pretty one, and there is violence in it and cruelty, but stories that are not pretty have a certain value too, I suppose. Everything as you well know, having lived in this world long enough to figure out a thing or two for yourself, cannot always just be sweetness and light. Listen, this is how it happened. First, the rat finished, once and for all, the job he had started long ago, the chewing of Gregory's rope. All the way through it so the jailer became lost in the maze of the dungeon late at night when the castle was dark the serving girl Megari Sow climbed the stairs into the princess's room in her hand she carried a candle and in the pockets of her apron were two very ominous things in the right pocket hidden in case they should encounter anyone on the stairs, was a rat with a spoon on his head and a cloak of red around his shoulders. In the left pocket was the kitchen knife, the same knife that Megery Sow had used to cut off the tail of a certain mouse and a candle that Meg carried with her as she climbed the stairs, Gore, Gore! She shouted to the rat, "Ain't it dark?" Yes, yes," whispered Rascuro from her pocket. "From her pocket, it is quite dark, my dear." When I'm princess," began Meg. Shh, said Rascuro. "May I suggest?" that you keep your glorious plans of the future to yourself. And, and may I further suggest that you keep your voice to a whisper. We are, after all, on a covert mission. Do you know how to whisper, my dear? I do, shouted Meg. Then please, please. Said Roscuro. Please institute this knowledge immediately. Gar, whispered Meg. All right. Thank you, said Roscuro. Do I need to review with you again our plan of action? I got it all straight right here in my head, whispered Meg, and she tapped to the side of her head with one finger. How comforting said a squirrel. Perhaps, my dear, we should go over it again. One more time just to be sure. Well, said Meg, we go in to the princess's room and she will be sleeping and snoozing and snoring and I will wake her up and I will show her this knife and say if you does not want to get hurt, princess, you must come with me. And you do not want to hurt her, said the squirrel. No, I don't. Because, because I want her to live so she can be my lady-in-waiting when I become princess. Exactly, said the squirrel. That will be her divine comeuppance. Gore, whispered Meg. Her divine comeuppance come." Up and her divine comeuppance. Meg had, of course, no idea what the phrase divine come comeuppance meant, but she very much liked the sound of it. And she repeated it over and over to herself until Roscuro said, and then, and then, continued Meg, I tell's, her to get out of her princess bed and come with me on a little journey. Indeed, I will. I love the sound of that phrase. A little journey. A little journey, it will be indeed, said Rascuro. And then said Meg, who is coming to her favorite part of the plan. We take her to the deep downs and we give her some long lessons on how to be a servant girl. And we gives me some short lessons on how to be a princess. And when it's all said and done, we switch places. I get to be the princess and she gets to be the maid. Go. <sighs> Reader, this is the very plan that Rescuro had presented to Mig when he first met her. And it was, of course, a ridiculous plan. No one would ever, not for one blind minute, mistake Mig for the princess or the princess for Mig. But Migrisau, as I pointed out to you before, was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And Reader, too, she wanted so desperately to become a princess. And she wanted, oh, how she wanted. And it was because of this terrible wanting that she was able to believe squirrels plan with every ounce of her heart. The rat's real plan was, in a way, more simple and more terrible. He intended to take the princess to the deepest, darkest Part of the dungeon. He intended to have Meg put chains on the princess's hand and her feet. And he intended to keep the glittering, glowing, laughing princess there in the dark forever. Chapter 37. A Small Taste. She was asleep and dreaming of her mother. The queen, who is holding out a spoon to her and saying, "'Taste this, my dear. Taste this, my sweet pea. Taste this, my darling, and tell me what you think.' The princess leaned forward and sipped some soup from the spoon her mother held out to her. "'Oh, Mama,' she said, "'it's wonderful. It's the best soup I've ever eaten.' Yes, said the queen. It is wonderful, isn't it? May I have some more, said the pea. I shall give you a small taste so you will not forget, said her mother. I will give you a small taste so that you will remember. I want more. But soon the princess, but as soon as the princess said this, her mother was gone. She disappeared, and the bowl and the soup spoon disappeared along with her. Lost things, said the pea. More lost things. And then she heard her name. She turned, happily thinking that her mother had come back. But the voice was not her mother's voice. The voice belonged to somebody else, and it was coming from a separate place. And was telling her to wake up. The pea opened her eyes and saw Migry Sow standing over her bed with a knife in one hand and a candle on the other. Meg, she said, "Gore!" said Mig softly. Say it, commanded squirrel. Mig closed her eyes and shouted her peace. If you's, if you does not want to get hurt, Princess, then you must come with me whatever for, said the princess in an annoyed tone. As I have noted before, the princess was not a person who is used to being told what to do. What are you talking about? Meg opened her eyes and shouted, you gotta come with me. So after we take some lessons, uh, you some long lessons and me some short ones together way down in the deep downs i can be you and you can be me no shouted rascuro from mig's pocket you are doing it wrong who said that your highness said rascuro and he crawled out of mig's pocket and made his way to her shoulder and situated himself there laying his tail across her neck balancing himself your highness he said again and he raised the spoon slowly off his head and smiled, displaying his mouthful of truly hideous teeth. I think, I think it would be best if you do as migri Sow suggests. She is, as you can quite clearly see, in possession of a knife, a large knife. And she will, if pushed, use it. "'This is ridiculous,' said the princess. "'You can't threaten me. I'm a princess. "'We,' said Roscuro, "'are all too aware of the fact of what you are. "'A knife, however, cares nothing about that fact, "'that you are royalty. "'And you will bleed, I assume, just like any other human.' P looked at Meg. "'Meg smiled. "'The knife glinted in the light of the candle.' Meg, she said, her voice shaking the tiniest bit. I, re- I really do not think, said squirrel, that Meg would need much persuasion to use that knife, princess. She is a dangerous individual, easily led. But we're friends, said the pea. Aren't we, Meg? Huh? said meg trust me said the girl you are not friends and i think it would be best if you addressed addressed all your communication with me princess i am the one in charge here look at me the pea looked directly at the rat and the spoon on his head her heart skipped one beat and then two do you know me princess no she said lowering her head i don't know you but reader she did know him he was the rat who had fallen in her mother's soup and he was wearing her dead mother's spoon on his head the princess kept her head kept her head down she concentrated on containing the rage that was welling up inside her look again princess or can you not bear to look does it pain your royal highness sensibilities to let your eyes rest on a rat. I don't know you, she said, and I'm not afraid to look at you. The pea raised her head slowly. Her eyes were defiant, and she stared right at the rat. Very well, said Rescuro. Have it your way. You do not know me. You must do as I say. My friend here has a knife. So we are going on a little joiny." I would like it if you would get dressed in your loveliest gown, the one you were wearing, at the banquet not so long ago. And put on your crown, said Meg. Put that on your head, princess. Yes, said Roscuro. Please, princess, do not forget your crown. The pea started, this pea, still staring at Roscuro, pushed her covers back and got out of bed. Move quickly said Rescuro. We must take our little journey while it is still dark. And while the rest of the castle sleeps on, ignorant, oh, so ignorant, I am afraid of your fate. The princess took a gown from her closet. Yes, said Rascuro to himself. That's the one, the very one. Look how it sparkles. Lovely. I will need someone to do my buttons, said the princess as she stepped into the dress. Mig, you must help me. A little princess, said Rascuro. Do you think that you can outsmart a rat? Our dear Migri-Sao will not lay her knife down, not even for a moment. Will you, migri Sow? Because that might ruin your chances of becoming a princess. Isn't that right? Gur said Mig. That's right. And while Mig held the knife pointed directly in the direction of the princess. The pea sat and let the rat crawl over her back, doing her buttons up for her one by one. Princess held very still. The only movement she allowed herself was this. She licked her lips over and over again because she thought she could still taste the sweet saltiness of the soup that her mother had fed her in her dream. I've not forgotten, Mama, she whispered. I've not forgotten you. I have not forgotten soup. Chapter 38, To the Dungeon The strange threesome made their way down the golden stairs of the castle. The princess and Mig walked side by side, and Roscoro hid himself in the pocket of Mig's apron. And Mig pointed the sharp tip of the knife at the princess's back, and together they went down, down. The princess was led to her fate as everything around her and everyone slept. The king slept in his giant bed with his crown on his head and his hands crossed on his chest, dreaming of his wife, the queen, who was a bird with green and gold feathers who called his name, Philip, 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 without ceasing. The cook slept in a too small bed off the kitchen, dreaming of a recipe of soup that she could not find. Where did I put that? She mumbled in her sleep. Where did I, that recipe go? It was for the queen's favorite soup. I must find it. And not far from the cook, in the pantry, atop a bag of flour, slept the mouse Despero, dreaming, as you know, reader, of knights in shining armor, of darkness, and of light. And in the whole of the darkened sleeping castle, there was only the light of the candle in the hand of Migri Sow. The candle shone on the princess's dress and made it sparkle. And the princess walked tall in the light and tried not to be afraid. In this story, reader, we have talked about the heart of the mouse and the heart of the rat and the heart of a serving girl megary sow but we have not talked about the heart of the princess like most hearts it was complicated shaded with dark and dappled with light the dark things in the princess's heart were these a very small hot burning coal of hatred for the rat who was responsible for her mother's death And the other darkness was the tremendous sorrow, a deep sadness that her mother was dead, and that the princess now could only talk to her in her dreams. And what of the light in the princess's heart? Well, reader, I am pleased to tell you that the pea was a kind person, and perhaps more important, she was empathetic. Do you know what it means to be empathetic? I will tell you what it means. It means when you are being forcibly taken to a dungeon, when you have a knife pointed at your back, when you are trying to be brave, you are able still to think for a moment of the person who is holding that knife. You are able to think, oh, poor Mig. She wants to be a princess so badly and she thinks this is the way, poor, poor Mig. What it must be like to want something that desperately. That, reader, is empathy. And now, you have a small map of the princess's heart. Hatred, sorrow, kindness, and empathy. The heart that she carried inside her as she went down the golden stairs and through the kitchen. And finally, just as the sky outside the castle began to lighten, down into the dark dungeon with the rat and the serving girl chapter 39 missing the sun rose and shed light on what Rascuro and Migrisal had done and finally Despero awoke but alas he woke too late I haven't seen her Louise was shouting and I tell you I washed my hands of her she's missing and I say good riddance good riddance to bad rubbish despero sat up he looked behind him oh his tail gone given over to the knife and where the tail should be nothing but a bloody stump and more flower play gregory's dead shouted the cook poor man that rope of his broken by who knows what and him lost in the dark frightened to death because and frightened to death because of it it's too much Oh no, whispered Despero. Oh no, Gregory is dead. The mouse got to his feet and began the long climb down from the shelf. Once he was on the floor, he stuck his head out around the door of the pantry and saw the cook standing there in the middle of the kitchen, wiggling her hands. Beside her was a tall woman jangling a ring of keys. That's right, said Louise. All the king's men went down there to search for her in the dungeon. And when they came back, whom do you think they have with them? They have the old man, dead. And now you tell me Mig is missing? I say, who cares? Despero made a small noise of despair. He had slept too long. The rat had already acted. The princess was gone. What kind of world is it, Miss Louise? where the princesses are taken right out from under our nose and the queen drops dead and we cannot even take comfort in soup. And with this, cook started to cry. "Shh," said Louise, I beg you, do not say that word. Soup, cried the cook. I will say it. No one can stop me from saying it. Soup, soup, soup. And then she began to cry in earnest, wailing and sobbing there said louise and she put a hand out to touch the cook and the cook slapped it away it will be all right said louise the cook brought the hem of her apron up to wipe at her tears it won't she said it won't ever be all right again they've taken our little darling away there ain't nothing left to live for without the princess Despero was made to have exactly what was in his heart spoken aloud from such a ferocious, mouse-hating woman as the cook. Louise reached out again to touch cook, and this time the cook allowed her to put an arm around her shoulder. What will we do? What will we do? Wailed the cook. And Louise said, shh, there, there. Alas, there was no one to comfort Despero and there was no time anyway for him to cry. He knew what he had to do. He had to find the king. For Having heard Roscuro's plan, reader, Despero knew that the princess was hidden in the dungeon, and being somewhat smarter than Megary's sow, he sensed the terrible unspoken truths behind Ruskuro's words. He knew that Mig could never be a princess, and he knew that the rat, once he captured the pea would never let her go. And so the small mouse, who had been dipped in oil, covered in flour, and relieved of his tail, slipped out of the pantry, past the two weeping women, and went to find the king. Chapter 40 Forgiveness. He went first to the throne room, but the king was not there, and so Despero slipped through the hole in the molding and was making his way to the princess's room when he came upon the Mouse Council. Thirteen mice and one most honorable head mouse sitting around their piece of wood debating important mouse matters. Despero stopped and stood very still. Fellow honored mice! said the very honored head mouse. And then he looked up from his makeshift table and saw Despero, Despero, he whispered. The other mice of the council leaned forward, straining to make some sense of what the word was that the head mouse had just uttered. Pardon, said one of them. Excuse me, said another. I didn't hear it, White, said the third. I thought you said Despero. The head mouse gathered himself. He tried speaking again, fellow members, he said, a ghost, a ghost, and he raised a shaking paw and pointed it at Despero. The other mice turned and looked and there was Despero tilling covered in flour looking back at them with the tell-tale red thread around his neck like a thin trail of blood. Despero, said Lester, son, you've come back. Despero looked at his father and saw an old mouse whose fur was shot through with gray. How could that be? Despero had only been gone a few days, but his father seemed to have aged many, many years in his absence. Son, ghost of my son, said Lester. His whiskers trembling. I dream about you every night. I dream about beating the drum that sent you to your death. I was wrong. What I did was wrong. No, called the very most honored head mouse. No, I've destroyed it, said Lester. I've destroyed the drum. Will you forgive me? He clasped his front paws together and looked at his son. No, said the head mouse again, do not ask the ghost for your forgiveness, Lester. You did as you should and you did what was best for the mouse community. Lester ignored the head mouse, son, he said, please. Despero looked at his father, at his gray streaked fur and his trembling whiskers and his paws clasped together in front of his heart and he felt suddenly as if his own heart would break in two. His father looked so small and sad. Forgive me, Lester said again. Forgiveness, reader, is, I think, something very much like hope and love. A powerful, wonderful thing. And a ridiculous thing, too. Isn't it ridiculous to think that a mouse could ever forgive anyone? For such perfidy. But still, here are the words Despero Despero Tilling spoke to his father. He said, I forgive you, Pa. And he said those words because he sensed that it was the only way to save his own heart, to stop it from breaking in two. Despero, reader, spoke those words to save himself. And then he turned from his father and spoke to the whole mouse council. You were wrong, he said, all of you. You asked me to renounce my sins and I asked you to renounce yours. You wronged me. Repent. Never, said the head mouse. Despero stood before the mouse council and he realized that he was a different mouse than he had been the last time he faced them. He had been to the dungeon and back to the top, out of it. He knew things that they would never know. What they thought of him, he realized, did not matter at all. And so, without saying another word, Desperot turned and left the room. After he was gone, the head mouse slapped a trembling paw on the table. Mice of the council, he said, we have been paid a visit by a ghost who told us to repent. Now we must take a vote. All in favor of saying that this visit did not occur, say aye. And from the members of the mouse council, there came a tiny but empathetic chorus of eyes. Only one mouse said nothing, and that mouse was Despero's father. Lester Tilling had turned his head away from the other members of the mouse council. He was trying to hide his tears. He was crying, reader, because he had been forgiven. Chapter 41 The Tears of a King Despero found the king in the pea's room, sitting on his daughter's bed, clutching the tapestry of her life to his chest. He was weeping. "'although weeping was really too small of a word "'for the activity that the king had undertaken. "'Tears were cascading down his eyes "'and a small puddle had pooled and formed at his feet. "'I'm not exaggerating. "'The king, it seemed, was intent on crying himself a river. "'Reader, have you ever seen a king cry? "'When the powerful are made weak, "'when they are revealed to be human.' Have hearts, their diminishment is nothing short of terrifying. You can be sure that Despero was terrified, absolutely, but he spoke up anyway. Sir, said the mouse to the king, but the king did not hear him, and Despero watched. King Philip dropped the tapestry and took his golden crown from his lap and used it to beat himself on the chest over and over again. The king, as I have mentioned already, had several faults. He was nearsighted. He made ridiculous, unreasonable, difficult to enforce laws, and much in the way of Megri Sow, he was not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer. But there was one extraordinary, wonderful, admirable thing about the king. He was a man who was able and willing to love with his whole heart. And just as he had loved the queen with his whole heart, so too had he loved his daughter with the whole of it. Even more than the whole, he loved the princess P with every particle of his being, and she had been taken away from him. But what Despero had come to say to the king had to be said, so he tried again. "'Excuse me,' he said. He wasn't certain, really, how a mouse should be addressing a king. "'Sir!' did not seem like a big enough word. Despero thought about it for a moment and he cleared his throat and he spoke as loudly as he was capable of speaking. Excuse me, most very honored head person. King Philip stopped beating his crown against his chest and looked around the room. Down here, very most honored head person, said Despero. The king, tears still falling from his eyes, looked at the floor and he squinted. Is that bug speaking to me? No, said Despero. I am a mouse. We met before. A mouse, billowed the king. A mouse, but this is one step removed from a rat. Sir, said Despero. Very most honored head person, please. You have to listen to me. This is important. I know where your daughter is. You do, said the king, and he sniffed, and he blew his nose on his royal cloak. Where? he said, as he bent over to look more closely at Despero, one tear, two tears, three enormous king-sized tears fell with an audible plop onto Despero's head and rolled down his back, washing away the white of the flower and revealing his own brown fur. Sir, most very honored head person, sir, said Despero as he wiped the king's tears out from his own eyes. She's in the dungeon, liar, said the king, and he sat back up. I knew it, all rodents are liars and thieves. She is not in the dungeon. My men have searched the dungeon. But nobody really knows the dungeon except the rats, sir. And there are thousands of places where she could be hiding, where she could be hidden, and only the rats would know. Your men would never be able to find her If the rats did not want her found, ah, said the king, and he clapped his hand over his ears. Do not speak to me of rats and what they know, he shouted. Rats are illegal. Rats are against the law. There are no rats in my kingdom. They do not exist. Sir, very most honorable head person, that is not true. Hundreds of rats live in the dungeon of this castle. One of them has taken your daughter and... If you will send, the king started humming, "Mm, I cannot hear you, Mm." he said out loud, I cannot hear you, Mm -hmm. anyway, what you say is wrong, because you're a rodent, therefore a liar, Mm -hmm." and he stopped and said, I have hired fortune tellers and a magician, and they are coming from a distant land, and they will tell me where my beautiful daughter is. They will speak the truth. A mouse cannot speak the truth. I'm telling you the truth, said Despero. I promise. But the king would not listen. He sat with his hands over his ears, humming loudly. And big fat tears rolled down his face and fell to the floor. Despero sat and stared at him in dismay. What should he do now? He put a nervous paw up to his neck and pulled the red thread and suddenly his dream came flooding back to him. The dark and the light and the knight swinging his sword and the terrible moment when he had realized that the suit of armor was empty. And then, dear reader, do you know he stood before the king and a wonderful, amazing thought occurred to the mouse. What if the suit of armor had been empty for a reason? What? if it had been empty because it was waiting for him you know me that's what the knight in his dream said yes said despero i do know you i can't hear you Mm -hmm," Sang the king i'll have to do it myself said the mouse i will be the knight in shining armor there is no other way it has to be me And Despero turned. He left the weeping king and went to find the Threadmaster. Chapter 42 The Rest of the Thread. The Threadmaster was sitting atop his spool of thread, swinging his tail back and forth and eating a piece of celery. Well, look here, he said when he saw Despero. Would you just look at that? It's the mouse who loved the human princess back from the dungeon in one piece. The old threadmaster would say I didn't do my job. Well, that is because you are still alive. I must have tied the thread incorrectly, but it is not so. And how do I know? Because the thread is still around your neck. He nodded and took a bite of the celery. I need the rest of it, said Despero. The rest of what? Your neck? The rest of the thread. Well, I can't just hand it over to any old mouse, said the threadmaster. They say red thread is special, sacred, though I myself, having spent so much time with it, know it for what it is. What's that? said Despero. Thread, said the threadmaster. He shrugged and took another loud bite of celery. (sighs) Nothing more, nothing less. But I pretend, my friend. I pretend, and what, may I ask, do you intend to do with the thread? Save the princess? Ah, yes, the princess, the beautiful princess. That's how the whole story started, isn't it? I have to save her. There is no one but me. It seems to be that way with most things no one to do the really disagreeable jobs except oneself. And how exactly will a spool of thread save a princess? A rat! A rat has taken her and hidden her in the dungeon, so I have to go back to the dungeon and it's full of twists and turns and hidden chambers like a maze. Oh. "'Like a maze,' said the threadmaster. "'Yes, like a maze, and I have to find my way to her, "'wherever she is hidden, "'and then I have to be able to lead her back out again, "'and the only way to do that is with the thread.' "'Gregory, the jailer, tied a rope around his ankle "'so he would not get lost.' "'And as the mouse said this, he shuddered, "'thinking of Gregory and his broken rope, "'dying, lost in the darkness. I. Said Despero, "I will use the thread." The threadmaster nodded. "I see, I see," he said. He took a meditative bite of celery. "You, my friend, are on a quest." "I don't know what that is," said Despero. "You don't have to know. You just have to feel compelled to do the thing—the impossible, important task at hand." "Impossible," said Despero. "Impossible," said the threadmaster. "Important." He sat chewing his celery and staring somewhere past Despero and then suddenly leapt off his spool. Who am I to stand in the way of a quest, he said. Roll her away. I I can have it? Yes, for your quest. Despero put his front paws up and touched the spool. He gave it an experimental push forward. Thank you, he said, looking into the eyes of the threadmaster. I don't know your name. Hovis, thank you, Hovis. Oh, there's something else, something that belongs with the thread. Hovis went to the corner and came back with a needle. You can use it for protection. Like a sword, said Despero, like a knight would have. Yes, said Hovis. He gnawed off a length of the thread and used it to tie the needle around Despero's waist. Like so. Thank you, Hovis, said Despero. "'He put his right shoulder against the spool of thread "'and pushed it forward again. "'Wait,' said Hovis. "'He stood up on his hind legs "'and put his paw on Despero's shoulder "'and leaned close to him. "'Despero smelled the sharp, clean scent of celery "'as the threadmaster bent his head, "'took hold of the thread round Despero's neck "'in his sharp teeth and pulled hard on it. "'There,' said Hovis, "'when the piece of thread broke and dropped to the ground.' Now you're free. You see, you're not going to the dungeon because you have to. You're going because you choose to. Yes, said Despero, because I am on a quest. The word felt good and right in his mouth. Quest. Say it, reader. Say the word quest. Say it out loud. Quest. Isn't it an extraordinary word? So small, yet... So full of wonder, so full of hope. Goodbye, said Hovis, as Despero pushed the spool of thread out of the threadmaster's hole. I have never known a mouse who has made it out of the dungeon, only to go back in it again. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye, mouse among mice. Chapter 43. What cook was stirring? That night, Despero rolled the thread from the threadmaster's lair along innumerable hallways and down three flights of stairs. Reader, allow me to put this into perspective for you. Your average house mice, or castle mice, if you will, weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of four ounces, okay? And Despero, as you know, was in no way average. In fact, he was so incredibly small that he weighed about half of what the average mouse weighs, which comes to two ounces, And that is all. Think about it. He has nothing but two ounces of mouse pushing a spool of thread that weighs almost as much as he did. Honestly, reader, what do you think the chances are of such a small mouse succeeding in his quest? Zip, zero nada. Goose eggs. But you must, When you are calculating the odds of this mouse's success, factor in his love for the princess. Love, as we have already discussed, is a powerful, wonderful, ridiculous thing, capable of moving mountains and spools of thread. Even with the love and purpose in his heart, Despero was very, very tired when he reached the door to the castle kitchen at midnight. His paws were shaking and his muscles were jumping and the place where his tail should be was throbbing and he still had a very very long way to go into the kitchen down the many stairs into the dungeon and then through and then through somehow some way through the rat-filled darkness of the dungeon itself not knowing where he was going and oh reader when he stopped to consider what lay ahead of him Despero was filled with an icky, icky feeling of despair. He leaned his head against the spool of thread and he smelled celery there and he thought of Hovis and Hovis seemed to believe in his quest. So the mouse raised his head and squared his shoulders and pushed the pool of thread forward into the kitchen where he saw too late that there was a light burning. Despero froze. Cook was in the kitchen. She was bent over the stove, stirring something. What was it? Was it a sauce? No. Was it stew? No. What the cook was stirring was soup. Soup, reader. In the king's own castle, against the king's law, right under the king's very nose, the cook was making soup. And as the mouse looked on, cook put her face into the steam rising from the pot and took in a deep breath. She smiled a beautiful smile and the steam rose around her and caught the light of the candle and made a halo over her head. Despero knew how the cook felt about mice in her kitchen. He remembered quite clearly her instructions to Meg regarding himself. Kill him! The only good mouse is a dead mouse. But he had to go through the cook's kitchen to get to the dungeon door, and he had no time to waste. Soon the daylight would dawn and the castle would be awake, and a mouse would have no chance at all of pushing a spool of thread across the floor without attracting a great deal of attention. He would now have to sneak past the mouse-hating Cook. So, screwing his courage to the sticking place, Despero leaned against the spool of thread and sent it rolling across the floor. Cook turned from the stove, a dipping spoon in her hand. And a frightened look on her face and shouted, "'Who's there?' "'Chapter 44, Whose Ears Are Those?' "'Who's there?' shouted the cook again. Despero wisely said nothing. The kitchen was silent. "'Hm,' said cook. "'Just my nervous Nelly ears playing tricks on me, you old fool,' she said to herself and she turned back to the stove." You're just an old fool, afraid of being caught making soup. Despero slumped against the spool of thread. And as he leaned there, his heart pounding, his paws shaking, a small, wonderful something occurred. A midnight breeze entered the kitchen and danced over to the stove and picked up the scent of the soup and then swirled it across the floor and delivered the smell right directly into the mouse's nose. Despero put his head up in the air and sniffed. Oh, he sniffed some more. He had never smelled in his life anything so lovely and so inspiring. With each sniff he took, he felt himself growing stronger and braver. Cook leaned in close to the kettle and put the spoon in and took the spoon out and blew upon the spoon and then brought it to her lips and sipped and swallowed. Mmm, she said, ah and she took another sip oh something's missing she said maybe more salt and she put the spoon down and took an enormous salt shaker and sprinkled salt into the kettle and Despero, feeling emboldened by the smell of the soup again set to work pushing the spool of thread Quickly, he said to himself, rolling the spool across the floor. Do it quickly. Do not think. Just push. cook whirled the salt shaker in her hand and shouted, "Who's goes there? Despero stopped pushing. He hid behind the spool of thread as the cook took the candle from the stove and held it high. Um, hmm. She said. The candlelight came closer and closer. What's this? The light came to rest directly on Despero's big ears, sticking up from behind the spool of thread. Ho, ho, said the cook. Whose ears are those? And the light from the candle then shone full in Despero's face. A mouse, said the cook. A mouse in my kitchen. Despero closed his eyes. He prepared for death. He waited, dear reader. He waited, and then he heard the sound of laughter. He opened his eyes and looked at Cook. (laughs) Ha ha ha, said Cook. (laughs) Ha ha, for the first time in my life, I am glad to see a mouse in my kitchen. Why, she asked. Why am I glad? Because a mouse is not a king's man here to punish me for making soup. That's why. Because a mouse is not a king's man here to take me to the dungeon for owning a spoon. (laughs) Ha ha ha. a mouse. A mouse. (laughs) I, Cook, am glad to see a mouse. Cook's face was red, and her stomach was shaking. Ha, 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 she was shaking. And not just any mouse. A mouse with a needle tied to his waist. A mouse with no tail. Ain't it lovely? (laughs) Ha, ha she shook her head and wiped her eyes look look mouse these are extraordinary times and because of that we must have some peace between us I will not ask you what you are doing in my kitchen and you in return will tell no one what I am cooking she turned and then went back to the stove and set down the candle and picked up the spoon again and put it in the pot and took out another taste of soup smacking her lips together Not right, she said. Not quite right. Something is missing still. Despero did not move. He could not move. He was paralyzed in fear. He sat on the kitchen floor. A tear fell out of his left eye. He had expected the cook to kill him. Instead, reader, she laughed at him. And he was surprised at how much her laughter hurt.